Welcome to the Crook in the Book podcast, where three pastor friends discuss the Bible and how it connects to life in local church ministry. I'm Luke Miller, and I'm here with my co-workers and friends, Jeremy Muncy and Andrew Balich. So today we're going to be uh, working through James 1, 12 through 15, which Andrew just preached on recently here. So let me go ahead and read that for us, guys, and we'll jump in. So verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So Andrew, looking back on that uh, sermon, if you had to summarize the main point or theme of this passage in a sentence, uh, what would you say? I thought the point that was uh, there in the text that it was the real takeaway for me and how I tried to pull the whole thing together was just simply that there is a difference between trials and temptations. There's a lot of overlap, um, and I'm sure we'll tease some of that out. Uh, but there is a there is a, a very uh, much uh, a distinction in the in the Bible between a trial and a temptation, who it's from, what it's for, and and as those both those words are used here, I think James wants us to see uh, that that distinction. So there's a difference between trials and temptations, to put it uh, briefly. I found that helpful. Um, I, I think I knew that in my head, probably, that there was a difference, but seeing how those two things uh, connect as we're going to tease out and just that, that main point of the difference between those two, uh, I think that's super helpful, super practical to, to keep in mind. Um, is there anything with this passage that you had to wrestle with theologically or just how you were going to approach the passage? Well, I think that trying to get people to see the distinction between the two while at the same time um, showing that there there is uh, some similarities in how they might feel or similarities in the circumstances in which they would uh, arise. I think that was the the, the most challenging part. Uh, at the end of the day, I, I tried to, to put it um, as simply as I knew how or, or as concisely as I knew how in that uh, a trial is from God and aimed at life, uh, to use the language of this passage. And uh, the temptation, on the other hand, is not from God, and it's aimed at death. And so one is leading to our flourishing, our Christ-likeness, our ultimately this crown of life that James mentions. Uh, and then the other one is aimed uh, at, at our destruction, uh, at our demise, uh, at our bringing about ultimately uh, even, even eternal death. So trying to illustrate that, trying to communicate it in a way that's clear uh, was was where I spent kind of most of my my time in in preparation for for this sermon. If you wouldn't mind recapping real quick, Andrew, what is the crown of life? That's something that we say a lot, but I know I found it helpful to hear you give an actual like short definition of what that is. 
The crown of life, I think, is eternal life, which is not just lasting forever life like we all often think of it, but rather uh, abundant life. You know, we experience that abundant life now and into eternity and, of course, a, a much a much fuller way. And so it's not the crown of a of a ruler that you uh, inherit uh, just by who you are. It's it's rather um, a the the greenery that the wreath that was put on a uh, athletic uh, winner or someone who finished a race. And so, of course, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we're not earning our salvation or anything like that. But there is uh, a sense that it's a reward for those who are are faithful. Uh, in trials to the end. Well, and I was going to say too, I think it's important, you know, that we recognize James is using this word steadfastness more than once in this chapter. You know, early in the chapter, he talks about the testing of your faith producing steadfastness. And and he says, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. And I think what he's referring to there being perfect, complete, lacking in nothing is is the prize, is the goal, and it's, it's glorification, it's eternal life, you could say, or experiencing the fullness of eternal life. And so I think that's really important for us to, to see is he's not just like talking about something new now. It's not like he's shifting gears. No, he's been talking this whole chapter about, you know, steadfastness or trials or, or leading to steadfastness and steadfastness being necessary in order to experience glorification. And uh, I, I just love the way that you dissected the passage, the way that you showed that uh, trials are from God. God is the one bringing those trials into your life. Because so many Christians, I think, believe that when good things happen, you know, it's the devil or it's just fate or whatever. And um, or I'm sorry, when, when good things happen, it's God. When bad things happen, it's the devil or it's, or it's fate or whatever. Um, there's so many people that I can't think have this backwards view of, of God and his providence and really everything that happens is of the Lord. Everything that happens does not honor the Lord. Everything that happens is not necessarily according to his revealed will about what he expects of us and desires from us, but everything that happens, you know, God's put in our life. God's put in the world. He's put in motion for a reason. And, uh, and it's a good reason, even if the, the things don't seem good in and of themselves. And so, um, anyway, I, I kind of, that's a, that's a lot of word salad there uh, all to say that everything that happens in our lives, you know what I mean? Especially the difficult things is, is leading us toward that goal, that, that eternal life that you talked about and steadfastness being tough is really necessary to get there. It's necessary to gain that reward. But uh, yeah. speaking of reward, guys, isn't it isn't it wrong though to want to have a reward? I mean, aren't I supposed to, as a Christian, just just do it because it's the right thing to do, right, and not because of what I can get get out of that? Help me understand that a little bit better. Mm. I try to uh, tried to make that point that there is um, a reward here that is our motivation, and that's not selfish. That's not self-serving. It's actually uh, a a beautiful thing that the Lord would have something so amazing as this crown of life, this abundant life that will go on into eternity in our uh, ongoing communion with Him. Um, that's not a selfish thing. Uh, that's uh, a a God glorifying thing. 
um, and everything that goes along with it, physical needs being met, spiritual needs being met, relational needs being accounted for, uh, us not wanting anything uh, is are really uh, trickle down from that uh, abundant life of living in communion with with God forever. So I don't see it as a uh, as a, a selfish thing. Uh, I see it as uh, the Lord and his kindness giving us not just sticks, but, but also carrots when he gives us, uh, commands. No, absolutely. And when you got to ask yourself the question too, like, you know, what, uh, you know, what's the ultimate, what's the end game, you know what I mean? Of us getting glorified You know, what's the end game of us having eternal life. It's that God's beauty and God's glory might be reflected in the way that it should be. And so it's, it's not, it does benefit us. But it's not a. It, it, we 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 shouldn't look at it like um, uh, like we would look at you know some other kind of reward that we get in this life, some kind of selfish reward. No, this is a this is a Christ centered eternal life that we're going to receive. This is a God glorifying um, glorification that we're going to receive. So really, it's about God. It's not just about us. It's about Him. Well, John John Piper's famous Christian hedonism, based on the Westminster Shorter Catechism of our purpose for life, right to glorify God, right. enjoy Him forever. The, he puts a little twist on and says that and says, you know, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. Mm-hmm. So yes, He wants us to be satisfied because it makes Him look uh, like the glorious, beautiful, you know, Creator that that He is. Amen. Yeah. And I think, too, I mean, if the crown of life is basically eternal life, what does Jesus say eternal life is at John 17? Knowing you, the only true God in Jesus right. Christ whom you've sent. Really, the reward is, is God himself. Back to your point, right. Jeremy. It's a very God-centered reward, and we get to enjoy it, which is great, uh, but it really does ultimately glorify him. Hey, what man, is well, another, a, uh, go well, ahead. I have a quick question if I might interrupt. I think this is uh, really important and necessary. Um, Andrew, you mentioned in the middle of your sermon this uh, this Nessie that uh, you and your family <laughs> use. I, I, I'm just curious, you know what I mean? Like, so so talk to me a little bit more about these Nessies. So that you said they make different ones for different things. You know, which one? So it, if somebody listening to this is curious, what they could maybe get you for Christmas? You know, what what would you say? You know, what Nessie are you after the most, or what do you need to well, complete I was, your set? Uh... I was uh, after Papa Nessie, so he's the the Loch Ness monster ladle companion. He scoops your spaghetti noodles, yes. uh, and I I can't remember. It was a week, week Sunday before last. Uh, I preached this message, and one of our church members uh, already got me one, and so it came in the mail. <laughs> All right, it well, came never in the mind. Mail, it came in the mail Tuesday, so I don't. One Nessie is enough, you know. I don't <laughs> everything in moderation. I don't need another. Well, Papa you Nessie. know, yeah, <laughs> he's already received his reward. So he's, That's he's right. good now. For, <laughs> yeah. For what happens while. when that Nessie gets all dirty, though? You know, you need you need multiple Nessies because I'm just it's true. It melts, no, I, I thought that was know. a great that was a great illustration, though, about desire. You know, you're desiring these Nessies. I, I do think there's a sense in which, um, you know, going back to the passage, you know, and we're going to get to it probably a little bit, but it, it, temptation, you know what I mean, it is all about our desires. You know, and, and as human beings, we desire some things that are neutral, like Nessies. And I mean, but there are a lot of things that we desire uh, that are that are evil and that are that are wrong, that don't glorify God. 
And I think the the unique thing um, that you highlighted is that, uh, you know, God can put us in a situation where we're being tempted and where there are things that might um, might lure us. But if we're actually tempted and we actually desire those things, um, that's because of our own sinful brokenness. That's because of something in us, not because of God, or it's because of, of maybe even at times, you know, something uh, outside of us trying to tempt us. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, no one can make us sin. And Jesus is proof of that. Uh, but I don't know. I didn't know if you wanted to talk any more about that or whatever, about sin and desire. Because I thought that was one of the best parts of your uh of your sermon. Well, I think I wanted to communicate in a way that was relatable and applicational. Give the the real the downward spiral of sin, right? That starts yeah. with our sinful heart that's then drawn. I mean, it's right in the passage. Um says God cannot be tempted with evil. And then verse 14, as as Luke read, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Desire when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. Very powerful images there. Uh, moving from the the wrong desire and temptation to the actual act is that birthing of sin. And then sin grows uh, and ultimately, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And so I wanted to communicate that that is the spiral, the downward spiral of sin, that we are all doomed to go down uh, apart from the grace of God in our lives. And so I wanted to, one application be that to show the gravity of the battle that we're really in because it's something that starts within us, um, not necessarily a corruption from the outside, but then also make the point that you can short circuit that spiral at any time through repentance. Yeah. I love that part. Right. And, and so, yes, it's a, it's a dark, depressing thing to think about that we all succumb to at times, but there's always freedom from it uh, if we'll if we'll avail ourselves of the repentance the Lord calls us to, uh, which is the fruit of our faith, right? If our faith is genuine um, and a gift from the Lord and in growing, then there there will be that fruit of of repentance in in our life. So I wanted to highlight both of those things the gravity of the situation and then the, uh, the possibility of victory. Mm. What do you guys think are some, because uh, I agree, I think that's, that's really in the midst of a dark subject. That's, that's such good news. The repentance, the off ramp is always, is always open. Why do you guys think, um, I think we've all sat with people at times and sat with our own hearts at times, if we're honest, where someone seems to be in denial of that reality. They seem to have really convinced themselves, no, that's just, I can't get out of this. I can't stop. What do you think are some reasons that people believe that, that lie? Uh, well, I, I'll, I'll chime in first. I, I think, I think the reasons people believe that lie could be different, but I think most of them are rooted in their own sinful heart. You know, um, it's an easy cop out to say, no, I can't. I can't give this up. I bet you could. I, I remember Andrew used an illustration one time that I think he heard from somewhere. You know, if if you if you knew that if you did this certain thing that a bomb was going to blow up and blow off your your right arm or something like that, uh, you wouldn't touch that thing. You know what I mean? You 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 would stay away from it because 
you value your arm. And, and I think that's true, you know, when it comes to uh, a believer and their battle with sin. They have the Holy Spirit. They do have the power to abstain from doing a particular thing. I think sometimes because of their own sinful flesh and sinful unbelief, they don't actually believe that death is really going to come to them if they go down that path. Mm. They don't actually, which is why God has to oftentimes discipline us. And, and, and sometimes our discipline is directly related to a sin in our lives. Uh, read, you know, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, where he talks about people taking communion in an unworthy manner, and some of them have died because of it. Some of them are sick. Um, not saying you got to read into all of your ailments, you know, uh, but at the same time, uh, God is disciplining his children to keep them from going down that downward spiral that Andrew was speaking of into death. So, I think one of the reasons related to that is just if your experience is a lack of victory, then you, right, you're faced with a crisis, right? Am I going to believe that repentance really is the path of life and that the Lord will enable me to do that? Or am I going to believe my own experience and just assume that the way it's been is the way it's going to be? Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I think if, especially people who are, uh, in a long-term battle with something, um, I think that you can get into that, that kind of headspace, which is why we need not just discipline at times, but we need one another to say, no brother, no sister, you know, look at how Lord has freed me of this. Look at, you know, this promise in scripture, you know, right. we need one another to, to speak the truth to us when we're not, uh, maybe inclined to believe it on our own. Yeah. Great point. Yeah. I think especially the truth just of the, the gospel and that, right, that Jesus, if whatever guilt we may feel that we're under for that pattern of sin, right, there's freedom from that through the cross. But also, I just read in Romans 6 yesterday, through the cross, we've, we've died to whatever this is. Like, we really can do the work of Christ already accomplished, put this to death, get on the off-ramp, and, and get out of this cycle, which is, again, very, very good news. Um, are Amen. there any other applications that you guys would mention or that you've made in your own lives since preaching and listening to this sermon? I think I hit on the one that I wanted to hit on. The only other thing I would say, just another uh, application from this downward cycle of sin, is the idea of nipping things early. You know, it is harder to root out a sin that has been a plague in your life for 20 years than it is 20 days, you know? Um, And we've all seen people in that situation. So if this is the gravity of the situation, I, and repentance is always the off ramp. um, Repentance usually brings a whole lot less fallout if it's done early on than if it's waited till the end, you know, it's always there as an option. But it's never too late to repent. But the consequences of sin grow and grow and grow um, the longer that downward spiral is is allowed to go. No, that's good. I mean, the only thing I'd add just, you know, briefly is just that, you know, we need a good application, you know, for this passage. We need to just own up to our sin, not make excuses for it. When, uh, when we've sinned, we need to repent. We need to acknowledge that, uh, you know, each person is tempted when they're lured and enticed by their own desire. You know, whatever it is that we did, whatever sin we committed, 
um, and whatever whatever was the result of that sin, that's our own fault. You know, I, I've seen so many, um, counseled so many people that will have excuses for their sins. Well, when you do that, it makes me upset or whatever. Or, or, and I've even seen that in my own heart and life at times. I'll make an excuse for, well, I know I shouldn't have done that, but there, there is no, um, I should have done that, but it's, I shouldn't have done that. You know, I shouldn't have. It was my own sin nature, my own desires that are in my heart that are contrary to what God has for me and wants for me. And I repent and I, I, I cling to the gospel in that moment. Amen. Common denominator in this passage seems to be the temptation to blame it on anyone other than myself, whether it be God or surroundings or other people, whatever. We need help to own up to our own, our own sin and mm-hmm. preach the gospel to ourselves. All right, good stuff, guys. Um, I'm going to move us on to a random question, a lighter note, as we uh, wrap up here. It's Christmas season, and I'm sure everyone is just dying to know, uh, what is your favorite Christmas movie to watch? That's a no-brainer for me. It's The Grinch, because <laughs> I don't like Christmas movies, and it's really short, <laughs> and I relate to The Grinch. <laughs> I'm kidding. There's just something about when he when he's up there looking down from his cliff and just he's just it almost makes him upset that they're so happy. Yeah, uh, that's kind of how I am during the Christmas season. <laughs> that's how you feel every Christmas morning. <laughs> yeah, man, no, um, yeah, there's a redemptive turn. Grinch to it, is I don't know um, how to follow that. I don't know how to follow. You know, I well, you're going. I, you're I would going say to right now. Yeah. Um, I, that's a hard, cause we have like five to seven Christmas movies that we watch every year with our kids and, and together the Grinch being one of them. Um, that's my wife's favorite. Uh, I don't know what that says about her, but, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, love you, Jill. Uh, but no, I would say my favorite is probably Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, I just love it. I, I love the just it's just low key. The music's great. Snoopy's great. Um, Charlie Brown's just kind of like this, you know, little boy version of Eeyore. He kind of he cracks me up. Um, and the gospel, the really, the really, uh, the really sad tree makes me happy too. <laughs> hey, I yes. have that tree right here. Yes, Luke, I Luke. see it. It's up over. Luke. <laughs> Yes, I didn't even notice it, but I love it so much. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what I would say. But I would say, too, uh, Mr. Magoo's A Christmas Carol is my daughter's favorite, and I just love that she loves it. And we watch it every year, and the the songs in it crack me up. Uh, anyway, yeah. How about you, Luke? Quick I want to hear from cl- you. Yeah, quick point of clarification. Are you guys saying the original animated Grinch, right? Not, That's not like the Jim That's Carrey. Oh yeah, you know. Oh yeah. Okay. And, okay. Good. And not to interrupt, good. but uh, Tommy, I'm seeing our producer in the background. He just typed in the background. Die Hard is a Christmas movie, so I think he was putting that up for grabs if we wanted it. Um, <laughs> in case we forgot. There yeah, it, it kind of is, but yeah. Uh, my favorite is hands down. It's a Wonderful Life. Just watched it uh, two nights ago. Uh, I'm not really uh, much of a crier. There are two movies in the world whose endings can make me cry. Uh, the ending of Return of the King, Lord of the Rings, 
and the ending of uh, It's a Wonderful Die Life. Hard. So oh. I love, yeah. <laughs> and Die Hard. <laughs> I've never actually seen Die Hard. But yeah, that would be the top one. But Charlie Brown would be, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas would be a close, close second. It would be next on, next on the list. It's a Wonderful Life's pretty good. It's just, it's too long. It, My family won't watch it with me. It's, hey, it's a good, good growing opportunity uh, for them as a, as a family there. All right. Uh, this has been good, guys. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, thanks to our producer, Tommy Musias. Our music's by Gregory Allen Isakov. We hope you can join us again in a couple of weeks here for another Crook in the Book podcast. <laughs>